Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj Kalia. I hope you're all doing well on this Friday, March 25th, 2022. Back after a couple of days, so I hope you're all doing well. Stay in the loop of a you know, number of things, having a solid weekend, looking forward to the weekend. So hope you're all doing great in that aspect. A lot going on as more and more things start to heat up and... Not only in March Madness, but across sports and across the NFL, as well as the NBA and some of the news that's kind of broke down, re- broke recently and what to expect going forward. So I'm going to get into all of that, give my thoughts on the latest, biggest trade in the NFL. Uh, then I also will get into my thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets, um, as well as a few other things as we go along. Uh, so where I want to start today's episode um, is talk about the trade that the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs made, and that is Tyreek Hill will be a Miami Dolphin, already is. Uh, I think he had his press conference yesterday or the day before. Uh, Tyreek Hill traded from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. The Chiefs will be getting a total of five picks, uh, probably a first-round pick this year, a couple of second-round picks. Um, And on top of that, the Dolphins will be giving Tyreek Hill um, a four-year deal uh, for $120 million on top of whatever he was uh, getting. So he'll be pretty much the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL. NFL. a lot of this kind of came and was kind of pushed once Devontae Adams got a huge contract. Tyreek Hill obviously wanted that same desire, that, that wish with the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, um, you know, when it came to it, they didn't want to go ahead and extend it or do that con contract most likely. So Tyreek Hill was traded to the Dolphins. I think there were two teams that were linked to Tyreek Hill. That was the New York Jets. And the, uh, and the Miami Dolphins. And it seems like by all indicators, Tyreek Hill being from Miami and having a home there, he chose to go home and play with the Dolphins. And this definitely changes a lot in the NFL. Um, just from the standpoint of you have the Chiefs who had one of the best offenses in the NFL with Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey a number of years and now now Tua will be getting that not Tua will be you know getting Tyreek Hill now on his roster on this team that has definitely gone all in the Dolphins definitely have gone all in uh, to help Tua this season as they obviously made a number of offensive linemen signings they signed a couple of wide receivers um Mike McDaniel, the coach there, is doing everything he can to put a system in place where Tua can be successful and can make it work. Considering how the type of year that Joe Burrow had last year and how Herbert had quite a year last year, a lot of eyes are now on Tua and this Miami Dolphins team that, you know, definitely was in the running for trying to get a quarterback. And we know that they had injury problems this season. A lot of drama going on with the franchise and things like that. But when Tua was healthy, they obviously were playing well enough. So now they have 
added a couple of pieces. They added Teron Armstead to a deal. So the Miami Dolphins offense all of a sudden looks really explosive on paper. I mean, you know, you have Waddle, you have Parker, Mike Diskeski, Tyreek Hill now. And so the Chiefs will also be looking pretty different next year. I mean, for the first time in a long time, we will never we'll see something different for Patrick Mahomes, you know. He will have, obviously, Kelsey there with Hardman. Uh, they did sign Juju Smith-Schuster to a one-year deal. And then they recently signed Marquez Van Welkes-Scanlin from the Packers to a three-year deal. So Patrick Mahomes obviously got a huge contract uh, offseason ago, which made him the highest-paid quarterback. And then, you know, obviously the Chiefs had a lot of decisions to make about their, their, their roster in terms of who they want to keep and who they want to extend. And, you know, Tyreek Hill will be getting... Tyreek Hill will be leaving now for Kansas City. It's going to be very interesting to watch how the Chiefs look. You know, their offense will definitely have a different look to it next year. We're already seeing signs of that offense kind of being a little bit less than what it used to be. Uh, but now it's official. So, you know, for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes still being there. I mean, they'll this, this still have a chance to compete in the AFC West. Their offense may not even miss a beat. But their the production that Tyreek Hill had in Kansas City was was really good. It was really good. Uh, was He did a lot of things for that offense that covered up a lot of the areas that they were not good at. Um, but look at Tyreek Hill. I mean, he gets a chance to now join a Miami team that's trying to make a push. Um, he's bringing, obviously, a lot of speed, a lot of versatility to the offense that he could be used in a number of number of ways. And just looking at Tyreek Hill, he's come a long way since being a fifth-round pick in the 2016 draft. And he obviously he's had his moments where he's played extremely well. Other times he has not shown up. But he will be giving to um, uh, a lot of great you know, effort and production, most likely, if they use, utilize him right and his strengths right. Uh, but the Chiefs no longer have that ability now where they can instill fear into an opponent. I mean, that's the case for a lot of NFL teams, but there's always some players that kind of, you know, can break a big play or do that. The Chiefs won't have that anymore. So it's going to be an interesting position for Patrick Mahomes to see him. You know, he may not be going for those deep throws all the time or those deep shots. You know, might see more of a measured uh, approach from Patrick Mahomes. Um, as for Tua, like, and the Dolphins, I mean, this is the best thing that Tua could, ha- could ask for. He's got a supporting cast with running backs in Mozart and Edmonds. Um, you got receivers all over the place now. So the Dolphins are definitely trying to put together a team that can make it to the postseason. But their biggest challenge still remains in the division itself because no matter how many moves that they made, it's all about can they fit, can they make it can they make it, you know, can they work on the on the field and Look at Tua and how he's been throughout his career. Obviously, he's played a number of games where you know, he's had some solid moments, but other times he's been very inconsistent. So I'm not ready to put Miami as a playoff contender just yet. I think they still have a lot of things to figure out. Obviously, it's just just the off season. It's just the off season, and we're gonna find out how well they put this offense together. What does Coach Mike McDaniel do to make it work? Um, but it's going to be a lot on Tua to really be healthy, to really be, to make it work, you know. 
you look at his career so far, you know, he's had some things, you know, he, he's obviously, the deal with the injury obviously was tough and he came back and then things were there. But look at last year. I mean, all things considered last year, he did have a solid year, but it obviously wasn't enough to get to the Miami, get the Miami Dolphins into, into the postseason. They obviously had a tough losing stretch. They bounced back a little bit. Uh, but, you know, now this is a true, true test for Tua. You know, to prove, can he be the long-term answer? This might be his, one of his key years to prove that he can be that long-term answer at quarterback. I mean, you just look at his numbers overall, you know, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions this season, this past season. You know, he obviously, as I mentioned, just there were just some games that, you know, he wasn't obviously able to play in uh, fully, but... You know, he still had okay numbers. I mean, there are some games where he could have played much better. And there were some games that he could have just flat out just, uh, you know, been efficient. But he's he's getting there. You know, they're obviously not going to ask him to do too much other than get the ball to the wide receivers and play it safe. And uh, his development will be interesting to watch because we know that in Alabama, he had the tendency to make those stuff from the pocket, to make some solid throws. And, you know, the key thing for Tua is to see if he can ever reach that point where he can consistently throw for, like, you know, 200-plus yards in a game. Can he have more than two or three touchdowns? You know, he did have a one-four touchdown game, I think, last season. But Tua has got so many weapons now where his numbers should get better. He should be a lot better with his reads. So we're going to find out what he's really made of this year, you know. But... Uh, the the AFC is loaded. The AFC is loaded with a lot of great teams that are going to be very competitive. So for Miami, they hope they better hope that Tua makes it work because giving Tyreek Hill that contract and that money uh, definitely puts a lot of expectations on this Dolphins team. You know, and you know they haven't been to the postseason in quite some time. So you know it, it is going to be one of those things where. They're going to be judged by can they get into the postseason or not with this with this with this talent that they have on their offense. Um, you know, can they make it work? And you know, let's not sleep on what the rest of the division is going to be looking like in the AFC East. Now, you know, the Jets, despite not getting Tyreek Hill, they still have quite a bit of draft capital that they could use to their advantage. And you know, they're a team that's trying to get better in some aspects and then Buffalo obviously added some key places New England is still there so it's not going to be a, an instant thing where the Dolphins might beat out every team in the division but they have put themselves in a better position to beat those teams maybe in those key situation games down the stretch of the season that's where we really find out about this Miami Dolphins team you know because you got a first-year head coach, and you know, let's not forget that you got a first-year head coach that yes has success with, um, you know, you had you had a, you had a coach in Mike McDaniel who had success um, with Kyle Shanahan to a certain degree, uh, but not everyone can be Mike Shan, you know, Kyle Shanahan and you know Sean McVay. So they're still jury still out on Mike McDaniel, you know. There are a lot of good things to like about Mike McDaniel as a coach and what he's been able to do as a, in his career since he's been in the NFL since 2005. Uh, but we'll see if they can put it all together. It's all about 
can they put it together? And so, you know, that type of Miami, they got a lot of work to do still. It's all, all going to come together under his leadership and his coaching abilities this season. Now, as for Andy Reid and the Chiefs, I mean, the AFC West is loaded. And a lot of teams have improved in the division itself. So the Chiefs, they used to obviously be able to score points easily and really run up to score on their opponents early on. And then this past year or so, a lot of things changed where a lot of teams started figuring out their offense. and They weren't playing their best of football, but they still got high at the right time and still made it to their AFC Championship game appearance. So for the Chiefs, I mean, I'm not going to say that they are definitive lock next year to make it back. I mean, they will be one of the teams that will still be in the, competing for an AFC you know, spot. But the division is definitely loaded with a lot of new talent, and they're going to have a lot to work for. So we're going to see a different kind of journey for the Kansas City Chiefs where Patrick Mahomes is going to really be at the center of a lot of things now going forward. And with him, with his play, with his ability to continue to play at a high level will really dictate the future of the Chiefs, but uh, they do have a new, you know, revamped wide receiving corpus next year, and we'll see how much time it really takes for that chemistry to develop. But it will be, it will be very interesting overall, just seeing how how things will work out. You know, in terms of can the Chiefs still be that offense that scores points? Can they get a better defense? How do they build this team for? Because now they do have all these draft picks that they have accumulated, so we will see them use those draft picks to address both sides of the ball and. We'll see if Andy Reid can continue to kind of morph this team and keep this team competitive enough in the AFC to compete for a Super Bowl title again. And that will be the thing to watch out for coming up in the next football season. So in this next segment, I want to kind of recap uh, some of the... uh, Matchups we saw for the Sweet 16 that took place yesterday, uh, March 24. Obviously, it's been a wild run for a lot of teams in the March Madness tournament. There's some teams that definitely have uh, impressed and also have shocked uh, along the way. Uh, so yesterday, you know, two of the top seeds went down in Gonzaga, who I actually had winning it all, and Arizona went down. Um, and then you saw obviously some of the higher other other seeds, um, the number two seeds continue to win and move on. So let's look at it. Um, one of the first matchups that took place yesterday was between Arkansas and Gonzaga. And gotta give up to Ar- Arkansas and the Razorbacks for beating Gonzaga. Um, Arkansas is one of those teams that definitely had a solid year, and you know they obviously had their stretch for a little while where they weren't playing that well but they definitely played so well uh when this tournament got going and they played a dominant form of basketball yesterday where you know Jalen Williams played a tremendous game and JD Note um they really put it to Gonzaga a lot down stretch of that game yesterday where you know they forced a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers from Gonzaga uh they did a good job just being able to hit shots and really put Gonzaga in a tough bind overall. Uh, you know, I mean, they they were just uh, able to just find a way to make those extra plays, make those steals on some key plays overall in the game. Um, and, you know, 
look at Gonzaga. I mean, they really, for a long part, long time in the season, were just playing so dominant and so great. Uh, but they just could not st- uh, stay with it with Arkansas. They were bringing the fight. And the physicality, I think, really hurt Gonzaga in the second half of this game where you saw the Razorbacks just get shot, stay, keep it close, keep it close. Um, and they had a lead as well over Gonzaga, you know, I think a nine-point lead, you know. Uh, so you, you saw the very small things. You saw the small things that, you know, Gonzaga was doing earlier in the year. Or Kansas did that much better in a stretch where they were able to get the momentum. They were able to stay the lead. Um, and the defense was tremendous on a lot of shots. You know, you just look at it. Gonzaga shooting five of 21 from three. Never really happens with this team. And that kind of happened in a way in which, you know, it really led to the uh, to the advantage for Arkansas to get more steals, to get more time to shoot shots and hit efficient shots. And that's what really what it came down to was efficient shots and being able to outmuscle them in the second half and some key possessions here and there to continue on to win. Then you had Houston knock off number one, see Arizona and the Wildcats. Um, this game really just came down to Houston doing a tremendous job of shooting. A lot of clutch three-pointers hit um, by Houston and one of their key players in Kyler Edwards, who had 19 points in the game. Uh, he was tremendous, especially down the stretch of this game. Uh, you saw some defense show up as well uh, in key situations. Uh, but more importantly, you just saw a good game in terms of just Shot making, uh, the three point shots for Houston were you know really really good. They hit nine of twenty sh- nine of twenty from the three point line. Uh, Arizona only had seven of twenty two from the three point line. Uh, the key thing, although I think what this game came, really came down to was just a lot of turnovers between both teams. And Arizona just committed a few more turnovers where they were just very sloppy. They're really sloppy and they did not play their best game overall. I mean, they had been so good in terms of being able to uh, stay, you know, stay in pace. But, I mean, Houston, you just look at head coach Kevin, um, Kelvin Sampson. I mean, this team really had been coming for a lot of years in the March Madness tournament, getting better and better. And their offensive rebounding was, was really key in this game. And so Houston never trailed in this game. That was the one of the surprising things as well. They never trailed in this game. They just led the way, you know, with players like I said, Kyler Edwards and Jamal Sheen having those those key moments. For Arizona, some of their, their, their biggest stars just really went cold from the floor. You know, a couple guys went scoreless. A couple guys just weren't able to get into a rhythm. And when you don't get, get into a rhythm, if you, you know, you, if you don't have more, you know, if you don't play fluid basketball offensively for, for a while... It kind of gets to you. For Arizona, that kind of happened yesterday where they just did not play well to start the second half and never they never recovered from it pretty much. Villanova uh, was able to beat Michigan uh, 63-55 uh, yesterday. Uh, Villanova was just really great uh, in terms of just their experienced team that just kind of was able to limit Michigan's effectiveness from the floor. You know, Michigan wasn't able to hit a lot of shots effectively. Uh, despite having a rebounding advantage, you know, Michigan just wasn't able to execute offensively. Some guys just weren't able to score as well. 
you know, expected more from their guards, but they didn't do as well. Uh, but you saw a more balanced effort from Villanova and Jay Wright. Uh, overall, they just played their game. They played their pace. Uh, they never stayed out. You know, they, they never got too aggressive with their shots. I mean, it was a, a game in which you just saw a lot of effective play from the Wildcats. You know, Wolverines with Juwan Howard, obviously. Nice run that they had, but the more experienced team, the team with a little more... A ball movement and a little bit more able to get some key shots was really the difference in this game, and that's what it really came came down to was just playing more effective basketball and keeping it up. So you just saw the second half kind of go and Villanova's flavor where they were able to convert and they cause they had some more chemistry I think and playing a lot more meaningful games this year. They really proved the kind of team they are versatility wise and shooting wise, and that kind of proved to be the difference in this one. And then you had Texas Tech take on the Blue uh, Duke Blue Devils and Mike um, and Coach K. Um, and what a game this was between Texas Tech and Duke. And this, so Texas Tech was one of those teams that definitely I thought was going to make a run at it this year in the tournament. And they gave Duke a lot to handle in this game. I mean, they played extremely well in the first half. You saw some great play from their from their guards. I mean, you know, you had. I think Bryson Williams would be a leading scorer for Texas Tech, as well as a couple of other players. Their guards play extremely well. Um, but this game this game really came down to Duke being able to rise up and go on a late run, a 7-0 run down the stretch to win this game. A lot of clutch shots were made by, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, you had Paolo Banchero make some, you know, have a great game with 22 points. You had Williams. Mark Williams scored 16 points overall, you know. So there was a lot of good play from the dual guards and their bench. They were more balanced offensively compared to um, Texas Tech. Uh, but their defense, their ability to hit shots, to hit clutch shots in the paint really proved to be the difference. Texas Tech played a great game overall. You know, they shot the ball really well. Um, but they did not get to the free throw line as much. That kind, of, that one thing kind of really hurt Texas Tech was not able to get to the free throw line a little bit more. Duke had more attempts at that aspect, you know, uh, and Duke shot better from the three point line as well. So it was just one of those games where Texas Tech just in the final few moments couldn't play, couldn't execute as well. Um, but you saw some good things overall from their team overall. But how about Duke being able to have this run now to the lead eight? playing some solid offense in the second half because the first half, Texas Tech had the advantage. Second half, Duke came out firing, hitting a lot more shots, getting a lot more ball movement. You saw more effort, more energy from Duke in the second half, and it really proved to be that way, especially in the last two or three minutes of the game. Duke turned it on big time. The way they did it against Michigan State early in the tournament, the same exact way they did it this way. And it was really nice to see Duke come out with the victory and advance to Elite Eight. So in this next segment, I want to talk about Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets and the decision that came down yesterday from Eric Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, announcing that the mandate for unvaccinated athletes and performers has been lifted. And so it looks like New York Yankee players 
New York and uh, New York Met players will be allowed to play now at, at home games in New York City, and Kyrie Irving now will get a chance to finally uh, play in home games this year for the Brooklyn Nets. Now I think it's going to uh, be happen uh, be happening soon enough. I think uh, either this week or next week. I think is when um, those games are going to be or that that'll be taking place, but. It does come at a good time for the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving from the sense that the Nets obviously have maybe roughly eight to nine regular season games left. And most of them are at home, I believe. So Kyrie Irving gets a chance now to play in home games. Obviously, it was a tough situation for Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets dealing with all the things that were going on. Uh, but obviously, at some point... You know, Governor Eric Adams obviously saw a lot of things and he made the decision finally after initially not saying he was going to do it. So a little bit of a surprise that it happened. Uh, but it's a good thing for the Brooklyn Nets because and there's been a lot of analysts, a lot of people saying out there that Nets, if they had Kyrie and Kevin Durant on the court together and playing in the, the postseason, it's going to be a problem for a lot of teams that are going to win a championship. Well, now... There are no excuses for the Brooklyn Nets now. <laughs> you know, if you want to put it that way, they have every chance now to compete and have a fair shot in the postseason. Uh, the only thing that remains to be seen is Ben Simmons' situation, how that develops, because he dealing with a back issue that continues to be troublesome. So, you know, for Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant, this is their time to prove it together. Uh, you know, it's going to be great to see them play play together in home games and away games, no doubt. For the NBA, it's a good thing because obviously Kyrie Irving puts on a show when he plays, and he is a great player despite all the things that have come with him throughout this year. What I've said, many other people have said, he's still a great player to watch and talk about. And so now you look at Kyrie Irving, who just turned 30, I think, on Wednesday. Um, he will get a chance to now be... They're on a full-time basis to be with the teammates there on the road and at home games. And it's all about basketball now at this point for the Brooklyn Nets to see how they perform as a team because they are still the eighth seed in the, in the Eastern Conference. So no matter how it, how it, they you know slice it or dice it, they will most likely play in the playing tournament game. You know, and that will be telling because you know the Nets all year long have had dealt with the injuries. They dealt with the whole you know Kevin Durant being now James Harden obviously situation. And Kyrie Irving not being able to play. Um, but now with Kyrie Irving back in the fold, you see this Nets team playing a lot better. And they've won some games where they've looked tremendous. And other games they've looked a little bit out of it. But they're a team that definitely is dangerous heading to the Eastern Conference. They still, despite their deficiencies, they, they really stack up well against a lot of the teams in the Eastern Conference. So the question now is can they put it all together chemistry-wise and team-wise to get it done? Um, for Kyrie Irving, I mean, you know, obviously he's remained um, the way he is throughout the year, and gotta give him credit for that at least because he obviously he stated what he believed in, and things kind of worked in his favor. Um, but there's still a lot to be seen how how things work out. Obviously, you see how the teams are playing the Eastern Conference, and what we're seeing. I mean. No matter what, it's going to be an interesting first, second round matchup they'll have, most likely. You know, they end up facing the Miami Heat in the first round. That'll be an interesting contest, you know, because Miami Heat obviously have been playing a little bit off right now. They look a little bit, you know, uh, rough right now. But 
Um, look at the grand scheme of things. You know, there's a lot to like about the Nets. Um, although I will still be saying that, you know, the whole thing was that everyone was keep on saying was, you know, the Nets are not going to be able to win with this group and with this roster. You know, now you have those two. I, I don't want to hear those excuses of like, the Nets don't have enough to win a championship. They clearly do have that. And Ben Simmons, if he does come back at some capacity, he may be able to help the Nets. But, you know, if they don't get out the first round, it's going to be a failure. No doubt. No matter. So, let's just see now what kind of matchups the Storylines do develop over the next few weeks. Because it will be one of those things where you know, they may have to obviously, you know, really use a lot of those guys in situations. But we've seen Kevin Durant play at a high level. We've seen Kyrie play at a high level. And the question is, is it good enough to beat the teams in the Eastern Conference that have more chemistry and more depth at certain positions? And so that will be fun to watch and see how it develops overall. But definitely something to look forward to the NBA. Obviously, the NBA season got a little more exciting, you know, because now you have two stars of the Nets actually on the court together. And we'll see now if they can deliver on their expectations. Um a part of me still thinks that they will not be able to do that because I think they're going to need just more than those two guys, I think, to win some key games. But then again, you cannot doubt KD's greatness and Kyrie's greatness. So if they can put it all together, they could make a run at it. But I think if you're talking about who I think come to the Eastern Conference right now, I'm going to take the field against the Nets still until I see more and how things develop in the next few weeks. So now I want to finish off today's episode by talking about um, one of the most, uh, you know, young and promising stars in tennis. That is Ash, um, Ash Barty. Uh, she was number one, number one ranked player on the women's side. Um, and she decided to make an announcement recently of retiring at age 25. Um, and got to say was definitely something surprising to, to hear about initially when the news broke but you look back at it and you, look, you think about it you know there's a lot of different athletes in every sport that at a certain point either want to retire or want to move on to a new chapter in their life and for ash barty you know she was someone that definitely looking at how she was playing you know she was really just playing at a high level but you know not everyone has that same type of mindset and attitude of like being able to play a game for so long in their careers and so you know she was someone that definitely based on all the things that have been talked about she was someone who you know who saw a lot around the tennis thing change obviously with Serena Williams not being around with injuries and things like that uh, that definitely probably changed her mindset but you just look at it she's a three-time major champion uh, definitely had a nice run at it for a lot of different things, but I think for her and for a lot of tennis athletes, a lot of world athletes across sports, you know, you want to be able to contribute and help in your own way. And so for her, you know, maybe she wanted to step away from the game just to be able to chase her own goals and dreams, which is great to do. You know, uh, a lot of players don't always have the same, you know, emotional drive or the physical drive to do do what you want. You know, it, it 
you know, it's all about challenging and being at the top of your level. And so maybe for for a number of months, maybe Ash Barty had really been through quite a bit trying to figure out a lot of things and challenge herself. And she did obviously have an impressive run in January when she won the Australian Open from her home home crowd. Uh, but she had a long run at it. You know, she did battle some injuries throughout her way. You know, she won a lot of different single tournaments, you know. Um, but I think for her, she probably had accomplished everything that she set out to do. And so maybe that's why she decided to retire. You know, just being able to kind of contribute to the game by teaching other younger players, younger girls, tennis. And, you know, I think that overall, like, Throughout her years, throughout her experiences, she obviously took a break from the sport at an early age, came back, and was better than ever. So she had her ups and downs, but she she stayed humble throughout it. She stayed passionate through all of it. And I think she's a player that definitely would be missed from tennis because, you know, she did so much and spent a lot of time into it. And so it's good to see some athletes, you know, taking decisions early in their careers. You obviously want to see some athletes that just know one sport and want to stay in that sport forever and ever and there are others that obviously spend a number of years with the physical toll the mental toll on their bodies and at some point they obviously want to be able to separate from that and contribute in different ways so i think for ash barty a nice story for her how she rose up through all her years qualifying for tournaments being able to get the number one world ranking winning some championships winning some making some incredible friendships along the way so hats off to her for being able to make this decision now at this point in her career at 25 definitely playing tennis for a number of years you know since she was a teenager was a lot for her and i'm excited to see what she does going forward in her career post tennis